This is the Good Omens podcast on TV Podcast Industries in association with Podcastica. And we're looking at Season 2, Chapter 4, The Hitchhiker, featuring the mini-sewed Nazi zombie flesh eaters. Unbelievable. Having a rough one? Hey, no, no, it's perfect. I spent all morning processing 52 men called Otto. You know, if you really want to get out of here... I believe they're looking to move some people from admissions to temptations. Ah, well, it's never come easy to me. Climbing the greasy pole. Get all double tongue-tied. Thing is, I do have the ear of the higher demons. Could always put in the work for you. Really? If you were to hear something on the Hellvine, some demon somewhere up to some good, just let me know. Could get you in front of the Dark Council. You do that for me. Then someday, and that day may never come, I could call on you to do a service for me. Yeah, yeah, well. Welcome back, fellow acolytes, to the Good Omens podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're in association with Podcastica, and we are covering Season 2, Chapter 4, The Hitchhiker, featuring Nazi zombie flesh eaters, of course. Yes. Lovely stuff. I am one of your banana fish gorilla shoelace with a dash of nutmeg, John. And I'm joined, of course, by my own ineffable fiance, Derek. Hello again. Banana, fish, gorilla, <laughs> shoelace with a dash of nutmeg. <laughs> I like that. I like that, uh, that little gag in there uh, in the episode, which I'm sure we'll talk about. That, yes. was, uh, that was very good. Uh, yes, we have uh, some Nazi zombie flesh eaters, which ties in really well with podcasts, I guess, since their main podcast uh, has been about The Walking Dead for many, many years. So uh, this time we've got some zombie flesh eaters in London. Yes, Always like a good zombie Nazi, mm-hmm. to be honest. Absolutely. Um, whether they're on the moon at mm-hmm. some secret uh, <laughs> research base somewhere mm-hmm. deep in Europe, you name it, um, they are always good for their money's worth. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. There's actually been a lot of movies now that you say it. There's what, three, three or four <laughs> yeah. different movies all about that. I think it's probably um, you have your villain character as a zombie uh, and then add Nazi on top of it, it makes it even more evil, doesn't it? Yes, it is that kind of evil <laughs> army of the dead. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, absolutely uh, loved the the Nazi zombies there in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, great to see uh, Mark Gattis and Steve Pemberton in there with Rishi Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for us, this is a bit of a... Uh, a crossover episode almost with the League of Gentlemen as well as Inside Number 9 and yes. all the stuff that these three have done together uh, in various forms throughout their careers. Absolutely. Uh, so absolutely fantastic to see. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really great to have these together. Like I think we've probably mentioned League of Gentlemen a bit. We've definitely mentioned Inside Number 9 as uh, one of our best shows every year that we don't cover. Um, so we are big fans of all these actors and having them on board here on uh, on Good Omens again because they've all they all featured in season one so uh, having them all on board here in season two is really good fun so uh, we'll obviously go into full spoiler filled detail uh, of our discussion about uh, yes, about them indeed as we, we will but before we do uh, remember fellow acolytes uh, if you haven't yet subscribed you can head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com where you can choose any demonic or angelic podcast catcher of your choice mm-hmm. of course we'd love to hear your thoughts theories ideas about all things good omens uh, so you can send in any feedback for our feedback section to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com we are also over on facebook with our facebook group 
uh, and the spoiler posts that we put up there for each and every episode mm-hmm. of Good Omens. Just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV podcast industries. Absolutely. And of course, you can find us over on podcastica.com along with all the other podcasts from Podcastica. Indeed. Mm-hmm. But without further ado, uh, let us get into our spoiler filled discussion of chapter four of good omens derek what are some of the episode details here well the show is written of course for television by neil gaiman and john finneman the minisode in this episode was written by jeremy dyson and andy nyman now the minisode here is about 90 percent of the episode itself so they kind of got the writing credit for most of the episode uh, <laughs> jeremy jeremy dyson was the other member of the league of gentlemen he was writing on every episode uh, of that show so uh, we mentioned the three main actors uh, that featured that, that played every role basically in uh, in the league of gentlemen almost every role um but jeremy dyson was behind the scenes and an interesting factoid was was in their movie, the uh, the League of Gentlemen Apocalypse. Jeremy Dyson made an on-screen appearance, but not played by Jeremy Dyson, played by Michael Sheen. Excellent stuff. There's an interesting one for you, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. The, the threads that are woven. Absolutely. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. And Mark Gaddis will be known for by a lot of people for his writing on uh, Sherlock as well. So, yes. Um, he's heavily and involved there. And starring in Sherlock. Starring well. in Sherlock. And he's been in Doctor Who. Uh, Neil Gaiman wrote for Doctor Who. David Tennant starred in Doctor Who. So, uh, I think actually all three uh, members of the League of Gentlemen have, pe- have appeared in Doctor Who at some point as well. So, uh, But nice to see them all here uh, and on screen together for the first time in a while too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Good stuff. The other writer, Andy Nyman, uh, for the episode, Andy Nyman was a writer and actor, uh, but mostly known for his writing partnership with illusionist Darren Brown. He wrote all of the specials uh, that Darren Brown did, all his massive uh, event specials uh, that Darren Brown did. You know, the ones like he's uh, like catching bullets and and, uh, and teaching people how to rob banks. And, that and the zombie one. <laughs> and he did a zombie one as well, didn't yes. he? Oh, very good, very good. In hospital. Yeah, I'll have to check that one and see if he was the writer on that. Or maybe I can't, he wasn't, I can't remember yeah. where they, but he did do most of the specials, so probably he was a writer yes. on that too. But yeah, an interesting uh, group of people uh, behind the scenes Definitely. here. And of course, directed once again by Douglas McKinnon. Good stuff. So John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Good Omens Season 2, Chapter 4, The Hitchhiker, featuring the Minnesota Nazi zombie flesh eaters? Sure. I wanted to make sure I got to say Nazi plan, zombie fleshy. <laughs> <laughs> the demon shacks hitches a lift with the zero fail as he drives Crowley's Bentley back from Edinburgh and deduces that Gabriel is hiding in the bookshop. Meanwhile, returning to 1941, three Nazi agents go to hell after they are killed by a falling bomb and plenty of demonic intervention by Crowley. Standing in line to go straight to hell, the three Nazis, Mr. Glozier, Mr. Harmony and Greta Kleinsman mention to their processor, the demon Furfur, that they are there only because of Crowley and Aziraphale. Furfur offers to spur them eternal damnation and resurrect them as flesh-eating Nazi zombies if they spy for him. Furfur hopes to advance his rank in hell by proving the demon and angel are consorting together. As Aziraphale joins Crowley in blitz-damaged London to deliver his bootleg booze to the West End, Aziraphale offers to perform magic on the West End theatre to help the owner of this loss-making theatre. Aziraphale begins to prepare his show with the help of Crowley, who suggests something with more of a bang, leading them to invest in a potentially lethal bullet trick that he'll perform on stage with the help of Crowley and plenty of miracles if it all goes wrong. All the while, the two are being followed by the nibbling Nazi zombies. <laughs> At the theatre, Mr. Glozier calls Furfur to the show to get his evidence and who places a miracle blocker over the theatre. With the ante upped, the trick is a huge success, but Furfur takes a photo of the pair's cavorting and cooperation and tells them both they're doomed. As their reward, the Nazis will live out their days as zombies roaming the earth. Furfur goes to present the proof to the Dark Council, not knowing Aziraphale's sleight of hand as he switches the photo with a West End poster, and the Council dismiss poor Furfur, laughing and taunting him at his failure. Back in the present, Shax, with the permission of Beelzebub, plans to storm the bookshop with the very best of the demonic army at her disposal, and take Gabriel by force. Meanwhile, Aziraphale has plans of his own to pull out all the stops to get Nina and Maggie together at the Wickbur Street Traders and Shopkeepers Association monthly meeting. It'll be a night to remember. Mm-hmm. Yes, it will. 
Certainly will. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and interestingly, with that, mm-hmm. um, you really got the sense then from that final little comment from Aziraphale, certainly in the context of Shaxx about to storm the bookshop with mm. the demonic army, that we probably won't get minisodes anymore. And as it would happen, the names of the the next couple or mm-hmm. the two final episodes don't have a they minisode featurette. Minis- that's yeah. right. That's right. So, um, so yeah, we may just have um, everything set in the present yes. uh, time in the final uh, battle and find out what is going on with, uh, with Gabriel, I guess. I think so. Yeah. But let's return to the Hitchhiker and go into our top signs of the apocalypse. Yes, let's start right there with the Hitchhiker. Um, as Aziraphale is driving back very late at night uh, from Edinburgh, and we have a pretty classic uh, horror movie setup yeah. here as he sees a Hitchhiker on the side of the road, and he can't pick her up because he's uh, in such a rush to get back. He's running really late. But she keeps reappearing further down the road and keeps it keeps appearing in front of him when she eventually uh, gets into the car. We discover that Shax, uh, who Aziraphale hasn't met, which I didn't realize, I, I kind of assumed they'd met at some point, but she, he's never met um, Shax. Uh, Aziraphale only works with Crowley, of course, um, behind the scenes, pretending that they're not working together. Uh, so it makes lots of sense that he wouldn't have met another demon, of course. Yeah, no, I, I really like this sort of meeting of Aziraphale and Shax. Um, Miranda Richardson's so good here, mm-hmm. uh, and so is Michael Sheen. Uh, it's just, you know, why would Crowley risk destruction for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's, she's really tricksy and demonic in that way, you know, as she tricks Aziraphale into sort of revealing, um, not... Exactly that they're in the bookshop, but just yeah. like his his response of how did you know? What did I do to reveal that Gabriel is in the bookshop? You know, uh, how did I lead you to that conclusion? Because mm-hmm. she basically just takes that punt, really, yeah. uh, to to really trick him into sort of giving the game away that actually he knows of Gabriel and mm-hmm. his whereabouts. Well, yeah, there is a weird line where he says. Who's this Angel Gabriel? I have no idea who that yeah, is. Exactly. Angel Gabriel is the Archangel Gabriel. Everybody knows who Gabriel is. Well, I think it's Aziraphale's... <laughs> going too far. We're poor, trying to lie. Exactly. His poor <laughs> yeah. attempt at kind of covering things up. And it oh, yeah. you know, reflects Muriel from the last episode exactly. as, as the white police constable officer inspector. Yes. Um, so, and, you know, like you say, any episode with... Nazi flesh eaters, zombies in the title. Then, you know, the dark country lane with the fog, you know, it's that classic uh, horror trope setup, which was nicely done here as well. Yes, yes. This time the hitchhiker. Uh, yeah, but it is, it is interesting. It does kind of lead uh, Shax on her path now uh, for what her new mission is uh, to, to get um, Crowley and get uh, Gabriel, right? So, yeah. um, so this, this meeting is really important. And obviously, Hence why the title of the episode is The Hitchhiker, um, because that's basically the only thing that happens in present day. And it kind of bookends the the episode exactly. like the, the last few have done uh, with uh, Back in the Present uh, with Shax getting permission uh, from Beelzebub. And mm. um, I do like that exchange as well, because oh, yeah. she gives her intel to Beelzebub and, you know, she's basically requesting you know to take legions of hell's finest demons to lead this attack on the bookshop because of the uh, the slip up from Aziraphale mm-hmm. about uh, about Gabriel yeah. and I like how Beelzebub kind of turns that back on her to say no I command you to do it mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah. it, you know this this may be your plan, but you're not getting the credit for it. You know, well, yes. if it goes yeah. well, you yeah. know, that's... I got you, yeah. uh, I kind of just like that little subtle moment in that exchange between yeah. the two. Yeah. And, of course, you um, know, this this fairly foreboding um, all-out strike on uh, Aziraphale's bookshop mm-hmm. by these hordes of demonic uh, soldiers yeah. uh, to... Aziraphale and Crowley back in London being all a bit whimsical, really. Kind of, first of all, Aziraphale makes no mention of, of Shaq. That's right. 
and neither does Crowley, mm-hmm. uh, even though they've both had they've encounters both with her, her yeah. and been threatened by her. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the Big Bang, the the night to remember, will be at probably one of the most boring sort of shopkeeper <laughs> association meetings. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, but for Aziraphale, this is just the most exciting thing. because. There's going to be, you know, naughtiness there by him because he's trying to get Nina and Maggie together. And I mm-hmm. love that kind of, you know, that the naivety, the innocence element here and um, the whimsical nature with sort of this. So you, you can imagine the, the double bass strings of foreboding going on in the background <laughs> yeah. because Shax is preparing her attack. Uh, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Won't it? Um I probably didn't realize how ambitious Shax was going to be when we met her first at the start of the season, but it makes lots of sense. She's the person taking over from Crowley, and her only yeah. complaint about it is this job is really easy. I don't actually get to do anything. Yeah. I don't. I don't get to affect anything uh, because the humans do much worse things than I do. And Crowley had the same complaint, and then he formed the relationship with uh, with Aziraphale. And you know, as we say, the two of them kind of been working for heaven and hell, but kind of for themselves. Yeah, and we uh, and yeah. we see her ambition going stretching back to 1941 as well with Furfo, where it's like you scratch my back, I'll scratch well, yours. Yes, you yeah, know, yeah. in terms of helping. One another move up the the corporate ladder of hell. Absolutely. I guess. Yeah, um, but even in this discussion with uh, Beelzebub, um, she's kind of saying to her, "Do you have a plan now to get them back?" And Shax <laughs> goes, "Because I do. I have a plan. I know what I want to do here, and I'm bringing it to you, basically." Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that feels much more ambitious uh, than we've than we've seen her. So, uh, so that was good. A good little development there from Shax. But of course, if you're going to be hell's representative on Earth, replacing Crowley, you have to be. A demon of some uh, of some repute, I would say. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, but shall we move on to our second sign yeah. of the apocalypse? Yes, it is Nazis in London, mm-hmm. but not any old Nazis in London. Nazi zombie flesh eaters in London. Well, in yes. fact, we have both. I really like this callback to season one, episode three, mm-hmm. where you have uh, the Nazis trying to get all of these s- sort of. Um, religious prophetic texts mm-hmm. from Aziraphale. Um, and Aziraphale thinks that, as it happens, Greta Kleinsman, he thinks, is MI5, mm-hmm. um, where in effect she is Nazi Massive. Secret Service. Yeah. And so it all... It all turns nasty at gunpoint, and ultimately it's Crowley who comes in to, um, with a big demonic intervention to have... Uh, the Nazis' own sort of munitions uh, being dropped on the church, mm-hmm. and he protects himself and Crowley and the books. Uh, but uh, Mr. Harmony, Mr. Glozier, and Greta are all um, taken out by this, yeah. and then we we come to the moment where you have all them, along with a lot of other Nazis actually at the time, being mm-hmm. processed uh, by Shax and Furfer, yeah. um, sort of on the first step to hell. Exactly, exactly. I really, I really do like that they took moments from season one, episode three, and kind of blended them with these new moments Definitely. where we have uh, Glozier's eyes uh, opening behind them, and we have uh, we see them all crushed underneath the uh, the remains of the church as well. So um, so I like that they did that. They blended it in so you could literally watch um, season one, episode three flashback and attach this one, and you could continue the story on as to what happens directly afterwards. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're the obviously these tales give you more information about what's happening with Aziraphale and Crowley, but it's not them telling the stories from their perspective. Um, you would think that lots of Nazis who turned into zombies would be a more important story than <laughs> than uh, Nazis that wanted to steal um, prophetic books from uh, from England for Hitler. You know, yeah. so, But that's not the reason why the story was told last season. Uh, this, this season, the reason why this story is being told is that it's another, uh, I guess, impact on... Aziraphale, once again, this is another twist in Aziraphale's allegiance to heaven and his uh, change from uh, someone who always tells the truth and always uh, follows along with God's plan. Absolutely. It's another twist in Aziraphale as a character. And, That's and why we, we get this flashback. We mentioned that last week mm-hmm. for the, the previous episodes. You know, these minisodes are really um, are exploring Aziraphale's change here. Mm-hmm. 
um, exactly. on on the the line of doing God's work, but also doing stuff for myself. Yeah. And that includes being able to drink tea, at least alcoholic drinks as, mm-hmm. as strong as sherry. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I thought, you know, I, I like these minisodes because I'm, I'm assuming that that will play into these final two episodes yeah. ultimately. Because yeah. um, we've seen them being able to lie, which an angel shouldn't technically be exactly. able to do. He's not great at it, as we saw in the car with Jax, but... He can. Yeah, and, and he's better than Muriel as well. He is, yes, For sure. At times. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think, um, I think though, having these three Nazis, I, I just really, um, enjoyed all of this in, in London with the three of them. Um, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. But when it moves to hell, and that's kind of the next sign of the apocalypse, when it moves to hell and Furfur, um, kind of reveals his plan or is given his plan by Shax in some way. Uh, Shax is looking for some evidence that an angel and a demon have worked together so that she can uh, further her path in hell and says the same thing to Furfur. If you find some of that information, I'll make sure that you stand up front and you can uh, you can get moved up and get out of uh, the processing side and maybe move into the temptation side, which is the exciting part for a demon, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, no, th- this was really good. As I say, just the whole thing of these three Germans being processed uh, down uh, mm-hmm. at the gates of hell, really, or the shoots of hell. Um, and, you know, they ultimately over here talk about Crowley uh, and they tell Furfur about Crowley's demonic intervention, mm-hmm. but on hallowed ground that he was in a church. And exactly. I, if I remember from season one, I love the fact that all the way through that scene, mm. Crowley is dancing and prancing around on the ground because yeah. he says it's like walking on fire. Exactly. Um, and it's just, it's really funny mm-hmm. because he's doing his usual Crowley stuff, but all the time kind of just lifting his feet off the ground mm-hmm. and sort of quick, quick stepping almost in order to keep his feet off the ground. So, yeah. um, but, and this, means they then get this offer from Furfur that they can be reconstituted as zombies mm-hmm. or they can end up like Commandant Gluck, um, who uh, is, video, yes. yes, who is basically being eaten and digested by a spider for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Continuously <laughs> eaten, regurgitated, eaten again, regurgitated, eaten again. Yes. <laughs> so funny. Um, and it's just like, they immediately sign, you know, because mm-hmm. they had shown a video, you know, the the corporate video of what will happen to you if you don't take our offer to become a Nazi. Exactly. And I also love the Furfur kind of throws in after uh, they've made the agreement that um, you will have a thirst for brains and for to eat other humans around you. You will need to satisfy that ter- thirst. You will need to kill and eat. Well, that's <laughs> it. And, actually, and as soon as they're back on Earth mm-hmm. as zombies... I really like their movements as zombies here because yeah. it didn't make them stand out. You knew they were zombies, but it wasn't to the extent where, you know, through busy London in the mm-hmm. middle of the Blitz with whether it's pandemonium happening mm-hmm. or just the buzz of the city, they they can't, you know, and the darkness because yes. obviously you, you have the blackout. They can be inconspicuous yeah. in London. So it's, it's a it's a great kind of gag there. Yes, but you know what I noticed the second time I watched it? Go on. They get worse. Their movements get worse and worse yes. throughout the episode. Yes, so they, they start do. off, obviously, having just been returned to life. Their bodies are working fine. But as the episode goes on, you do see them struggling and jerking uh, as for they're sure, walking. For sure, for sure. Um, but that first victim, yeah. uh, I thought this was a really good comedy moment. Uh, as we have the um, the unnamed uh, drunk man uh, singing the song about the farting competition. Um, and then I thought it was really well filmed in shadow as yeah. they uh, attack him. And you see the blood spurting up uh, in the air as the three of them meet him. And the and top then, of it, they're kind of like, they're kind of pouring at his yes. head as well. Exactly. In, exactly. in order to get the brains. And because then, it is quite specific. Furfur does say... Your sustenance is from brains. Exactly, exactly. Even though they say flesh eating. Yes, but just just like any good zombie, of course it comes from the brains. Um, <laughs> but then we have Mr. Glozer as they all <laughs> relax afterwards, uh, satisfied with their meal. Uh, Mr. Glozer continues the song about uh, about the farting competition um, because the uh, the person they killed is repeating on him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, great yeah. little gag there, and as well, <laughs> just the whole gag of you know, I think you have Greta saying. It's almost chickeny as mm-hmm. they're kind of picking the brain out from between their teeth, you yeah. know, and Glozier saying, yes, 
kind of like chopped liver and all this Uh kind of stuff so and then from there they go to follow um crowley and aziraphale in order to then be able to uh, turn the ring that furfur has given uh to uh mr glozier so that he can come in order to take the picture and Mm -hmm. i do (laughs) it does lead to literally i think one of my favorite moments of TV this year, okay. which is them in the magic shop. All right, we'll definitely talk about that um, in one of our, because, our next point. Probably. Yeah, well, I think we should move to the fourth sign of the apocalypse, which yeah. is the magic trick, the magic show. Yeah, we have Crowley here going to deliver booze to a more adult theatre, I guess, um, for members of the armed forces who are on their nights off, I guess, is what, is what it's for. Um, mostly the show consists of, uh, of dancing girls um, who are there to entertain the troops, uh, but occasionally they have to have a rest and during that rest, it's usually a magician that entertains the audience. Um, but we find that on the way there, Crowley has uh, unfortunately smashed all the bottles of booze. Um, so now he's indebted to the owner of the theatre. So um, to help him out, Aziraphale kind of happily uh, wants to replace the magician because he's a very excited amateur magi- magician himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we saw in season one, uh, when he and he was at the birthday party and pretended to be the magician. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I I loved this. I loved Aziraphale going back to the bookshop to practice, mm-hmm. um, and. <laughs> It's just the look on Crowley's face. I mean, he's just so not impressed. And he's like, it has to be a bit bigger for mm. the audience. Isn't you know, he, close magic? Yes, it's kind of... Aziraphale's kind of doing up-close magic like you would at a birthday party. Yes. This needs to be magic fit for a stage mm-hmm. uh, in in the West End. And, and this is where, as well, we just get... We have the three Nazis watching on and trying to lip-read and um, mm-hmm. what they're saying um and you get the banana fish gorilla shoelace with a dash of nutmeg gag yes. yep. uh, of which they all think that this is all just gibberish gibberish yes that uh mr harmony is not lip reading very well mm-hmm. at all absolutely um and they continue to follow them about and i have it does lead to one of my favorite pieces of tv this year which is Aziraphale and Crowley in the magic shop Mm -hmm. uh, looking to see what big trick Aziraphale can do with Mr. Glozier, played by Steve Pemberton, just being on fine, Mm -hmm. fine form as he kind of stumbles into the shop trying to listen into what they're saying. And as the conversation progresses... Mm -hmm. He gets the detective's hat on, uh-huh. and then he's got the fake nose and specs uh, and moustache. Yeah, and then he's by the end of it, knowing that they're going to perform the bullet trick, mm-hmm. uh, which requires Crowley to be placed in the audience to help uh, Aziraphale do the trick. He goes to turn the ring to summon Further, but has swapped out the ring with a joke one <laughs> spurts ink into his face. So I have to say, for me, this was priceless. Um, it was great fun. I absolutely yeah. loved it. And I just... It did Steve feel... Yeah. Pemberton's face. He's great. He just looked, like, clueless. Yeah. Like, the expression of just dumbness mm-hmm. on the zombie... As a zombie on his face was priceless really me. good i really, really good. enjoyed this yeah at, at moments here this feels like some of the comedy episodes of uh of inside number nine <laughs> um you know they've they've, they've done has nine seasons of inside number nine about six episodes each season so we've seen steve pemberton particularly and reese shearsmith play so many different characters over those over those many many episodes because they're different every time um so seeing steve pemberton play this role uh here for for good omens was really good it was a, a it's it's one that harkens back to a lot more of his comedy roles. Definitely, it does, definitely. It does really, really well. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And I mean, this then, the, the magic trick, it is this uh, bullet catcher mm-hmm. trick. Uh, but the reason for uh, Glosia turning the ring is because it needs to be someone you can trust yes. to be the marksman. Yeah. Um, so they have to be working together. They you, have to be working yeah. together at, as Aziraphale asks for Crowley to be 
the marksman. Again, mm-hmm. Crowley being fairly non-committal about whether he is a good marksman. Um, and in and fact, we learn, learn that he's never actually shot a gun at all. <laughs> exactly, uh, exactly. So this will be his first time shooting. Uh, one other thing I noticed uh, in this episode here, uh, following on from last week's episode, did you notice that Crowley is consistently pushing Aziraphale to pay more for things than he's supposed to be paying for. Mm-hmm. So last episode, we saw him uh, effectively give, what was it? Uh, 90 guineas. 90 guineas, so about £8,000 to uh, to the, the uh, body Elspeth, snatcher. Yeah, yeah. Elspeth, the body snatcher. Uh, and this episode, he pays £27 um, basically for the shopkeeper to shut up and just give him the, <laughs> yeah, the trick exactly. that he absolutely shouldn't be doing. Uh, but that's all with the encouragement of Crowley. Give him more, give him more. What else have you got in your pocket? He takes the money out of his wallet and hands it over to the, to the uh, shopkeeper. Exactly. So, uh, I wonder why that why that is. Why does he take a particular pleasure in uh, in making a zero fail pay, pay more? Uh, he seems to empty out his pockets quite often. Like it's everything. He's redistributing <laughs> the wealth, as yeah. we uh, learned from the last episode. Is it because he has a business? Is that what it is that he's he's got something, some way of actually making money, even though he never sells any books? Um, I think it's because money is ultimately unimportant yeah. to angels and demons. So he's like, "Why are you hoarding it?" Well, maybe, maybe yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> this is just really, you know, this the magic shop. For me, this was this is kind of the center of this episode yeah. because it's the reason why fur fur can be called. Mm-hmm. It you know it exposes Crowley and Aziraphale yeah. as being allies at least, mm-hmm. um, and it has just these wonderful uh, performances uh, from uh, the three Nazis as well, yeah. sort of trying to listen in, and of course it leads to the second nibble of the night as the shop owner is um again eaten for his brains yes and for uh, his the knowledge booklet. yeah <laughs> <laughs> eat his brains and take his knowledge exactly yes, yes. <laughs> and the booklet yes. as well yes <laughs> which they show to Furfa when they call him in the theater as, yes. as they watch on yeah yeah, uh, so we do have the big magic trick. We yes. have uh, we have uh, Aziraphale on stage trying to do this bullet catching trick. Uh, so the plan is that he hides the bullet inside his mouth, and Crowley shoots the gun, but shoots his past his ear uh, is the plan. But again, we learn learn that Crowley's never shot a gun before, so uh, that's not a not a great plan. Um, what if he misses? What if it goes through uh, Aziraphale's head? Because they do say they would have to do quite a big miracle if. Uh, if exactly. he misses. So, yeah. Um, I, well, yeah. I like this. Just like, you know, the magic tricks, you know, the ante is always being upped, isn't it? Yeah. And in and of this moment, it's upped considerably because Aziraphale learns that he hasn't ever shot mm-hmm. a gun before. Yeah. They realize soon enough that they're not able to cast their miracles yes. or their protection enchantments. Yeah. Uh, because Furfa yeah. has done the miracle blocker, which yeah. um, he's... <laughs> I love the fact that it's like one of the sort of uh, coffee loyalty cards exactly. that they stamp. <laughs> and so the, the ante is up here, and it, it's just so good because Michael Sheen plays this magician on stage, trying to be both full of bravado mm-hmm. and stumbling over everything. Yes. So, so well. I mean, even in the magic shop where he's got the the magic rings mm-hmm. and they're just flying all over the yes. place. Yeah. Um, whilst he's kind of delivering uh, the... The, with gusto, the, the words of a magician that would indicate he's doing it perfectly and uh-huh. he's just, like chucking them all over the place. I just thought it was sublime. Uh-huh. Uh, Michael Sheen on stage here. Uh, really good. Yeah, really good. And again, as we said, a, a good callback to him as a magician in uh, in season one. But because of the magic blocker, um, Furfer now knows that Crowley and uh, and Aziraphale are working together and goes backstage to confront them um, with the photograph of the two of them working together side by side, the person that is tr- most trusted to you uh, as your helper, as you, as yes. you mentioned earlier the on. The infernal so. code has been broken exactly. by Crowley. Exactly. Um, but once again, as we as we said, Aziraphale does something that angels probably shouldn't do. Um, he uses a bit of sleight of hand to swap out uh, the photograph for a poster for the uh, the dancing girls in uh, in the West End Theatre, um, and sends Furfer back down to hell uh, with this instead of the photograph. So yeah, uh, so yeah, we did say it last week that yeah, this is this is um, 
the development of uh, of Aziraphale, making choices that probably Angel shouldn't make. And this is another one here that he exactly. probably shouldn't have done. I also like for, for you know, working co- with demons. Also, as Brad about exactly. Anyway, but, but I yeah. liked Furfur here coming in, sort of. Oh, do you remember me? You know, he knows Crowley, and Crowley's like, no, nope, not really. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, how Tan delivers this sort of yeah. so off the cuff, so nonchalantly, mm-hmm. you know. And in the end, you, you see Furfur, so, you know, you doing what you like, while we who graft don't get a sniff at yes. promotion. You know, mm-hmm. the r- real kind of, you know resentment here for Crowley and this is his you know defining moment as he'll get his chance to be in front of the Dark Council and yeah. um, to show that the Infernal Code has been broken he, that, you know they will send uh, a legion to come down for Crowley in the uh-huh. morning and you know he will get his promotion Yeah, yeah. and it doesn't play out like that but at if, all. If Furfer's telling, telling the truth here about his part in the battle against heaven from the yeah. demons during the fall, effectively. He's saying he fought side by side with, with Crowley. Crowley. Yeah. So technically both equals, I suppose, when they arrived in uh, in hell. So, yeah. And here we are with Crowley being the representative of demons uh, of, of hell on earth and uh, and for, for working in processing. So, um, so you can kind of see why he'd be really annoyed. And uh, again, I do love how um, Reese Shearsmith plays this role. I yeah. think he, he, he plays that kind of pitiful, angry person very well. He that, does that really well. kind yeah. of role of, oh, the frustration of just, Listen to me. Why aren't you? Why don't you understand why my life is so much worse than yours? It's really, yeah, exactly. it's really kind of a great role that he plays very often. So, uh, so I really enjoyed that. But, um, but that plan has failed now, as he shares it with the council, and they all laugh at him when he's uh, when he hasn't got the evidence that he said he had. Exactly, um, and Shaxx actually she's delights quite, yeah. in in that failure for for because yeah. she's the one that's brought him to the Dark Council, given mm. this moment, this opportunity, and he hasn't taken it. Yeah. But she knows now she has one in the, the bag to call upon if she ever needs a favour. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I presume this is where she knows that the two of them are working together. So when Shax comes to take over the role of Crowley, this well, is what sets her on the path well, of... She, yeah, and she mentions you know, that to Aziraphale mm. in the car right at the start, yeah. uh, where she says... There was a rumour going round in the 1940s that mm-hmm. you and Crowley were an item. Yes, yes. You know? And Furfa thought it was his way out of the doldrums. So she, she kind of recaps the whole story. It's kind of almost from her perspective, this uh, yeah. this whole minisode. And that's it. That's the majority of the episode, really. There's just one last thing um, to mention, which is... Uh, the setup for the next one. We kind of mentioned it already earlier on, but the setup for the rest of the season now, uh, we have this uh, oncoming onslaught on the bookshop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we have the other more simple story almost, which is uh, Aziraphale has returned to London. Crowley tells him that his plan with the awning of uh, of, of rainwater uh, didn't work as he hoped. So Aziraphale has his own plan to get uh, Nina and Maggie together, um, which he has to do to prove to heaven that the miracle that they made to stop Gabriel for being seen was actually a miracle to get Nina and Maggie together. Yes. So, uh, so he has to deal with that lie uh, now, uh, but before the end of the season. So I guess that's where we're going next week as to the uh, as to the uh, monthly meeting. We certainly are the the Wickber Street Traders and Shopkeepers Association monthly meeting. Mm-hmm. What a riot! It I'm will sure be. it's going to be incredibly fun. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait for that. It will just be pure mundane mm-hmm. British bureaucracy. I can see this being written really, really well. So. Sort of, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the parish council yes. kind of level of being all minuted, all very mm-hmm. proper, um, you know, high levels of protocol for something that really doesn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we don't know whether Azurafel has attended one of these before. We heard back in the first episode, I think it was, um, one of the other shopkeepers from the from the area, probably the chairman of this group, saying, you've offered many, many times to host it at your bookshop, but then you never seem to be open when I yes. come and ask. So uh, so I'm not sure whether Aziraphale goes to this meeting or not. Uh, I think he tries to avoid them. But he seems to try and avoid them, but, uh, but now he's got a plan. So um, so he'll be there with Maggie and Nina. I think that's everything from the episode. Any, any notes, anything that we, we hadn't mentioned that happened in the episode, John? 
And the only note I have is I do like Aziraphale and Crowley's, you know, after he's done the sleight of hand on the with the photograph um, mm-hmm. to effectively destroy further. Um, and, you know, you have Crowley saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just blurring things around the edges. And he says there is something to be said about shades of grey, mm-hmm. you know. Preferably light grey, and Crowley comes in, well, dark grey for me, like, effectively. So I I kind of like that. It felt, um, you know, nicely pointed. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, underlining this change in Aziraphale. And and I think the whole underline of this from Crowley as well, (laughs) um, you know, it's it's the underline, it's the full stop, exclamation mark, where he tells... Aziraphale, you really are terrible at magic. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. <laughs> should just, retire the act. It is yep. just really, uh, <laughs> it's just so good. I, I love this episode, I have to say. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's where we are now. What, what, what did you think of the episode overall? What did you score it? For me, I would give this five miracle blockers out of five. Very good. Um, yes, and a, and a free miracle blocker, I guess, thrown in, given you've now reached your five uh, loyalty miracle blockers. <laughs> so... I, I just really, really enjoyed this. Um, I just loved the whole mini-sode in, in, in and around London. Mm-hmm. All sort of linking back to the, the comment from Shaxx, you know, about rumours from the 1940s. Mm-hmm. I loved how it connected back to season one with these three um, sort of, uh, you know, blackmailing Aziraphale for prophetic texts, mm-hmm. uh, of which, you know, they were trying to get their hands on the the prophecies of Agnes Nutter. Yes, the nice and, and accurate prophecies. The nice yes. and accurate prophecies. So <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, this whole setup, and I, I just feel you know, two thirds of the way through, it it's the pushing you now towards it set it up for those last two uh, episodes mm-hmm. uh, with you know legions of demonic hordes and reams and reams of association meeting uh, protocols. <laughs> yes, sense, sense. The two of them are going to collide wonderfully, I feel. Yes, I think <laughs> so. In this. I think so. Um, yes. That's I, my hope. Uh, at a um, monthly meeting uh, of all the shopkeep owners uh, under attack by demons, I presume, outside the bookshop, uh, if it's being hosted there. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that'll be interesting. So yes, I would give this five miracle blockers out of five. Excellent, excellent. I'm not as high on this one um, as I have been on other episodes. And I think my only criticism of this episode probably is that it spent such a little amount of time in the present. It was really more about the Minnesota. But that's only a minor criticism because given that the Minnesota was written by Jeremy Dyson and and Andy Nyman and starred three of the main actors from from League of Gentlemen uh, all in a big reunion, I'm a big fan of all of them. So I was really glad to see that. It's almost like... Um, they either asked Neil Gaiman or Neil Gaiman asked them, could you do something in the world of Good Omens using Aziraphale and Crowley and some other characters that you played? Yeah, I think the thing is, I, I always get excited when these three work together. Absolutely. Um, yep. Or, you know, as a, like with Pemberton and Shearsmith mm-hmm. on Inside Number 9, you yep. know, as a couplet uh, in, yes. in whatever way. Um, I really like it. And I think, you know, coupled to that, then you have... You know, the collaboration with Neil Gaiman, who I love mm-hmm. as well, yeah. and Michael Sheen and David Tennant, who again, you know, are just really nailing these characters. As I say, I felt Michael Sheen's performance here in this episode was just sublime, taking on, you know, the, the bombastic, grandiose sort of magician, you mm-hmm. know, but in the end, it all, it, it, it comes off like, you know, a, a, a scout theatre night where he, you know, and it's just by sheer force of will and Crowley effectively uh-huh. that he isn't shot in the head whilst well, there's a miracle yeah. blocker going on. But the theatre owner almost got shot. Well, in the that's head. true. <laughs> um, I, I just did. I just loved um, Michael Sheen here. Yeah, um, yeah you know, great. both on the stage practicing. And the the magic shop as well. And for me, magic shop was just one of the best bits of TV. <laughs> like just this, that scene, I thought was wonderful. Excellent, excellent stuff. Okay, I think we should crack on to our feedback section. We're yeah. recording a little earlier this mm-hmm. week, so there may be a few more pieces of feedback uh, that 
come in with those of you who are maybe watching along with us or just yeah. pacing your your feedback. But our first bit of feedback uh, comes through Facebook from Dr. Bob Phillips. He says, seeing the burgeoning romance between Aziraphale and Crowley is lovely, as is the range of awful accents Tenants <laughs> gets to do. The League of Zombie Nazis story in this didn't tickle me the same way the previous have, but I know horror comedy isn't really my thing. Right. Was Beelzebub really ignorant of the whereabouts of Gabriel? If so, does it splat the fly-in-the-box theory? Plus, the text message to Nina... Plus, the text message to Nina is not nice, and she needs to get rid of Lindsay. Mm. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Dr. Bob, for the feedback. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I know what you mean. I think the whole... Um, that whole conversation between Shax and, and Beelzebub was was kind of interesting. As I say, mainly because of Beelzebub commanding Shax. So it may mm-hmm. all have been employed by Beelzebub anyway, given the fly associated with the empty box. Mm. Um, given that Beelzebub is just that swarm of flies. Yeah. So it's interesting. But yeah, you're right. If um, Beelzebub is ignorant, then that fly in the box theory will be interesting. See, we don't really, at the moment, we just don't really know what's happening with Gabriel. We knew he turned up. We knew he was carrying a box. The box had a fly inside of it. We know he doesn't have a memory of the past, or at least his mind now can't hold the memories of Gabriel. Yeah. Was it Beelzebub that did that, that wiped his mind? And is the reason why she doesn't know where he is because of the miracle that um, that Aziraphale and Crowley uh, did to block Gabriel from everybody? So has Beelzebub effectively lost Gabriel and doesn't know exactly where he is now because of that? But the theory that we had was that the fly that was in there was monitoring um, Gabriel on behalf of Beelzebub. I think that was kind of what we were thinking, that that's the connection between the two. But potentially that miracle severed the connection between that fly and Beelzebub. Exactly. Maybe. And (laughs) we still don't know who the mason in the grey suit was from uh, last week. There is the same words being spoken by Gabriel as to Job and Mm -hmm. his trials and tribulations that was spoken to Job by God. So, you know, and the whole something is coming. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it? How bad is it? So... Um, yeah, I think the fly in the box theory potentially could go splat, um, yeah. for sure. But it just feels like it's been present. You exactly. know, why yeah. have it there, or is it just to throw us off the scent? It could be. It could be. But yeah. I, I'm guessing, since as we said, there's no minisodes listed for the last two episodes, and everything probably is going to be taking place in present day. That we're going to yeah. find out. Um, much more about that, what's happening, why Gabriel's there, and what the connection to Beelzebub is. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, Dr. Bob, yeah, you, you pick on a point that actually we, we didn't uh, mention. There is that brief moment where Nina gets a, a pretty grim mm. text message from Lindsay. So, which, is, you know, it, it's all just putting sort of guilt and... Mm-hmm really playing psychological games with her. Yeah. It, it seems really nasty. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think I saw this in the behind the scenes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because, um, you know, I don't mind being wrong um, on occasion. <laughs> um, but I think I heard the guy who designed the effect for the text message on screen is the same one that came up with the one for Sherlock, which was um, really well known for all the text messages appearing on screen in yes. different ways than yeah. you saw on other things. So uh, I think they have him working on board this another obviously british production like sherlock was so uh, so they tasked him with doing that uh something interesting with text messages for uh for nina because we saw that back when nina and um maggie were locked inside the coffee shop all the text messages appearing when uh when the power came back so um so i just thought that was quite an interesting little touch uh i'm sure i'm sure i saw that i'm sure i read that in an article the other day (laughs) good stuff yeah good stuff thanks dr bob Absolutely. Always great to hear from you, Dr. Bob. Uh, if there is any more feedback that comes in between now and uh, when we release the episode, I will, of course, uh, pop it in here um, before we release the episode. So uh, thanks so much for your thoughts, Dr. Bob. If you do want to send in any of your feedback, we've got two episodes left of the Good, of Good Omens. So you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Yes, you can also send a voicemail through our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. 
Yes, absolutely. And remember, we had the uh, the voicemail in from Anwen in New Zealand last week, who was halfway through season one uh, when she sent in the voicemail. Uh, she did give me an update. She's already caught up to us. Uh, she thought she'd get uh, get caught up to the end of season two of Good Omens uh, by the time we finished it, but she's already caught up. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Great so stuff. She hopefully um, seems like she's enjoying it as much as she was season one. She was very much enjoying the first season and now uh, halfway through the second season and uh, is now looking to read the book um, after finishing, uh, when she finishes season two, so... Good stuff. Yeah, I love that. Well, that's everything from feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for your thoughts, as always, fellow acolytes. Uh, great to hear your uh, your views mm-hmm. on this. Uh, just to remind all our fellow acolytes that you can, of course, subscribe over uh, on tvpodcastindustries.com uh, on any godly or devilish podcast player of your choice. If you subscribe, please share the podcast as well, because sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing sharing the the love. love. And we're over on patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries, as well as buymeacoffee.com forward slash TVPI if you wish to support us uh, in that way as well. But any support, whatever form it comes Feedback, subscribing, mm-hmm. uh, all all through those two platforms is very much appreciated, Absolutely. as always. Absolutely. Once again, a thank you to Jason Kabasi and Podcastica.com. Um, lots of stuff going over on Podcastica at the moment. Uh, they have started their coverage of the White Lotus. Um, unfortunately, due to uh, the events in Hawaii, they are delayed a little bit uh, with their third episode, as uh, Jason was on holiday in Hawaii. Uh, all safe. Everybody's uh, everybody's all safe uh, and back home now, I believe. Excellent. So, um, good to hear. But uh, but check out the podcast over there on podcastica.com on the excellent show, uh, The White Lotus. Also, Daphne and Paik are covering 28 Days Later on um, Run For Your Life this week. Very good. Yeah, I think it's. I think they've already released it uh, now. I don't know what, what they're doing. Uh, Love that movie. This Friday, but a great uh, zombie-related uh, movie, uh, which well, goes it, quite Yeah, badly. exactly. To me, it's an it, infected movie. It's not a zombie It is movie. an infected movie. And it, it does, for me, it, it kind of is a... It's a blend of zombie infected along with... One of my favourite sci-fi authors, John Wyndham, just mm. in terms of that opening scene Ooh, yeah. uh, with Killian Murphy on um, the bridge outside the Houses of Parliament in London. Yes, that's very cool. It's very yeah, cool. Really good stuff. And you can hear that on Run For Your Lives over at podcastica.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. Yes, we'll be back next time, fellow acolytes, with Good Omens Season 2, Episode 5, the penultimate episode entitled The Ball. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Until then, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and of course, keep praying. And of course, as always, remember, fellow acolytes, the apocalypse is coming. So grab your hard hat. Coffee coffee and and vodka. vodka.